Hello, everybody. This is Jill Renee Feeler, and welcome to today's podcast. I cannot believe that this is podcast number 221. <laughs> Where did the time go? <laughs> Hopefully, for those of you that have been around since the beginning, around, what was it, 2010, 2011, that we started sharing on blog talk radio. I love it. Um, hopefully all of you have been, you know, shoulder to shoulder with me in seems like endless discoveries and so much personal growth and ability to see not only oneself more accurately and more authentically, but also see this reality um, for what it is versus trying to pretend it's something that it isn't or trying to make it into something that it isn't. Um, I just don't agree with that approach. And I feel so grateful that I had that insight all those years ago of, okay, wait a minute, a lot of these spiritual teachings that are really, really popular out there are acting as if the world needs to change in order for us to feel good, in order for us to be our best, in order for us to feel like a successful human. And what a problematic approach that is, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we don't need the world to change for us to be an upgraded version of ourselves. I, I like the realism of that. I like the pragmatism. I like the empowerment of that, that, that what you want to change about you is in your hands and that we offer really amazing resources and tools and insights and fresh ideas for how to reframe who and what you are and who and what this reality is to further enable you to create another version of you. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. All righty. Let's take a couple nice deep breaths here. Oh, I like to do it in through my nose and out through my mouth. <sighs> Good job. Another one. And I just invite you to let your body feel heavy. Let yourself feel the weight of you and the, the way that your mass interacts with this reality and gravity. Let yourself feel the weight of your body, the realness of your matter. It's not going to be uncomfortable for some of you. I'm giving you hugs. It's okay. Get all the way in that bodysuit. I promise it's a good way to do this. Feel your energy in the heels of your feet. Focus on your toes. Focus on your hips. Focus on your fingertips your fingernails, touch your skin, maybe on your hands or your face. Yes, okay, all right. Yeah, let's get started from there. That's a wonderful launch pad. You are a wonderful launch pad, okay? 
All right, let's get started. Um, for those that are new here, welcome. For those that have been here before, welcome. For those that are new here, um, I share messages completely unprepared, completely unrehearsed. I have no notes. Um, today, I don't even have an idea of what we're going to be sharing. It is completely off the cuff. Um, it is from you know, those divine revelations you get and you're like, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing idea. I wish I would have thought of that. But yet it is kind of like you just thought of it. But it felt like it came from another version of you, a better version of you, a version of you that has ideas that you did not learn here, that did not come from your education or your programming or what you've experienced as yourself. It seems to come from another level of amazingness that you are also connected to. I plug into that in my work. Let's go for a ride. There's so many scenarios of who and what you can be in every moment. There are seasons that you can feel in your life of a shift. Like if somebody opens up a door in your house when there's a breeze outside and you feel the breeze sort of flow through your house or through your apartment, something changed, a variable changed and you can feel it tangibly. There is a doorway opening. It's not a doorway for you to leave. It's a doorway for you to consider and expand into. You don't leave where you were. You can't leave what you've been. There's no need to leave what you've been. But what's next can be so radically different. It can feel like another version of you, another iteration of your life. So the first step is to know that that's possible. You aren't stuck in your past. There's so many possibilities. There's so many amazing outcomes for who and what you can be in every moment. And if you don't know that, it doesn't happen. It can't happen without your willingness to be spontaneous in any experience of your life and try something new. So in the next maybe relationship pattern where you feel stuck, the next encounter with that person, have a background voice that you, that you operate that says, I know how I normally am in this moment, but how do I want to try things differently this time? What do I want to do this time? as my me. Normally I'd say this, what happens if I say that? And I just do it and see what happens. There's no guarantees it'll be an improvement. <laughs> There's no promises it'll be worse. But when you create another response from you in any, in any interaction, even with yourself, it's like you open that door and let that breeze in. It's fascinating. It's simple. It's dynamic. It's exciting. 
Now, part of you, especially those that are those of you that are more risk averse, will say, "But what if? Yeah, what if? So what? Predictability in this reality is so highly overrated. What's through that door? No one knows." You won't know until you get there and you try it out. So a lot of the ways that spiritual seekers and personal development sort of devotees try to create change in their lives is by this paralytic sort of analysis of their past and their present and what's going on and and a lot of generalizations and flawed hypothesis about why things aren't the way you want them to be conclusions that aren't even accurate but they're treated like fact oh the reason i am not in a healthy relationship is because what if that's not true what if it's just that the people that you've been trying to have a relationship with are not compatible to you, aren't a good match for you, are jerks, aren't healthy and emotionally, physically, energetically, whatever? What if you're a wonderful fit for somebody else? But so many of us get stuck in this analytical nonsense of rationalizations and explanations and storytelling and fantasy making that get us nowhere. If the main content of the conversation about what you're working on and what you're improving upon sounds like gibberish, that never gets you through that door trying on something else experimenting with another version of you, my guess is you're going to stay in that sort of analytical zone, possibly your whole life, with a lot of flawed conclusions about what is preventing you from realizing your goals. And sometimes the goals aren't even that great, you guys. Oh, that's a, that's a dream crusher right there, right? Because for anyone that doesn't feel very happy or satisfied in their life, the story that you may have been telling yourself is, but I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm about to be happy when this breakthrough happens. I don't think that's going to be true. Because the makings of happiness, authentic happiness, they're not based on a situation. They're not based on a goal box being checked off. Authentic happiness is a system of energy that you operate from no matter how things are going, no matter what's on that goal list and what's checked and what's unchecked. Now, if you're in that category of people, and that's a lot of very intelligent, 
very devoted, very passionate individuals that are, that are trying to get to a state of happiness or a state of a sense of personal achievement or enlightenment, et cetera. You guys are, we're an awesome group, right? That, that wants to be a better version of ourselves. But let's speak specifically to those that are under the delusion that they will be happy when. Because what we just shared right there is important, that you might not be happy then. So what are you missing then? If it's not that goal being achieved, if it's not that milestone being met, then what is it? It's your perspective. It's your perspective that happy people have, or happy people are, or happy people do, and it's not true. There's a lot of happy people that don't have any of those things, that aren't any of those things, that don't do any of those things. So what if your happiness and state of contentment and state of readiness for whatever you want through that open doorway that you're creating there? What if whatever that is begins with where you are now? What if that happiness is available by saying, okay, my life isn't perfect, but you know what? I want to be happy. Being unhappy sucks. I'm not a nice, as nice of a person as I could be. You may be thinking, um, I don't have healthy relationships and I thought it was because of this, but maybe it's, maybe if what Jill is telling me is true, then then shit, <laughs> maybe my relationships won't get better after I, after I get done with that milestone either. Fudge. No, this is the most liberating thing you could hear today. So let your brain be confused and frustrated right now that I might be right. Okay, I feel your brain saying, all right, let's have it. What is it? You've been happy before without that goal. You're playing a game with yourself to try to get results, productivity, something meaningful out of your life by tricking yourself that you are withholding your happiness until. Because you know at a core level of yourself that you want to be a happy, satisfied, content, valuable person. So by like locking up that part of you, it's like, okay, I know I want that. So if I withhold that, sort of like waiting for you know, the reward of dessert after I finish my dinner as a child or something like that. If I withhold that, then I'll work extra hard at, at getting that thing done or meeting that goal. How long, how long has this nonsense been going on? Years? Decades? What if that approach is just totally flawed? 
Because if the real goal is you being a pleasant version of yourself, a likable version of yourself, um, joyful in who and what you are, um, celebrating your life to some degree, if that's the goal, then why not just let it into whatever's happening in your life? And I, I can feel some of you arguing with me like, no, 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 Jill. You can't. No, that you have to earn it. Oh, are you sure about that? Hmm, that's, that's a decision that you're making. You are making that decision. I'm begging you to reconsider it. Life is, I know for myself, and I'm a fairly goal-oriented person, life is so much better when you realize that we actually are more productive, more outwardly valuable and relevant when we are having fun in the process. We're not waiting for prime time. We're not waiting for some result or some, you know, you know metric being met. We're saying, hey, I'm, I'm trying over here. Let's, let's see if this is working. And you've got a smile on your face and a laugh at yourself in this world ready to go. That's a really good strategy. <laughs> and that you let yourself smile and be in joy and celebrate when you do feel like you take two steps forward. And you can have a, a bit of a laugh when maybe it feels like you took one step back or however many steps back it feels like. There's going to be backslide here that has nothing to do with what you did wrong. It just happens. This is a slippery, muddy obstacle course with hills up and hills down. It's not pretty here. So some of you have been pretending that it has to look pretty. So you've got all these, all this energy behind the scenes trying to ready yourself for what? Life is messy. You're not fooling anybody. Let it be messy. I, I bet that almost everybody here that is here because they appreciate what I do, you appreciate my willingness to accept my mess. I'm not trying to be perfect. I mean, <laughs> am I not trying? I know I'm not. If you guys could see my email box, my inbox, you'd be going, shit, what kind, of, what kind of entrepreneur are you? You got this really nice email from somebody two weeks ago and you haven't even read it. Yeah, I know. I'm, that's right. That's true. And I feel, part of me feels bad. And part of me recognizes that that's not my priority to answer and read everybody's emails. I. I appreciate that they have something to say. And I recognize that as my Jill, I have limits. I can't hold myself accountable to listen to what everyone wants to say. I'll have no time for Jill. And my audience isn't even that big relatively. Okay, so it's not perfect. Life will not be perfect. So if you let yourself do it messy, what do you really want to do? What do you want to be through that doorway for you? What is this 
possibly scariest, most exciting, most exhilarating sort of, oh God, if I, if I could, this is what I would try next. What is really stopping you? If you're worried about judgment, don't tell that person. <laughs> if you're worried about public failure, do it under another name. There's so many creative solutions for how to manage the risk that you supposedly feel. That's keeping, I mean, address anything that's keeping you from doing that, trying it out. It'll cost too much money. What if it doesn't have to cost anything? What if it's not even an investment we're talking about? It's just an experimentation, an improvisation. Life is fun this way. And there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees even if you did do it all perfectly behind the scenes and put it out there for prime time. Do you know how many people I know who have invested thousands of dollars in the book that they wanted to write? They painstakingly put their heart and soul into it. They got it on Amazon. They hired a publisher. They marketed it. It's, I mean, marketed it, it, it. that sounded weird. They, they put forth the marketing effort to do everything they could to make it successful. And it's not moving. And part of them feels like, well, there's, who, who knows all the rationalizations that could come up with there. So if your goal had been, I want to write a book, check that box. You did it. Good job. If your goal was, I want to be a successful author, if you'd been working with me, I would have advised you to edit that goal statement from the very beginning. Because if your goal is to be a successful, well-known author, you don't have control over that. Because what is implied in a goal statement like that is if you do everything right, then that outcome will happen. And that is not how this reality works. Because it would be coercing the free will of all of those audience members. So there's a bit of luck that comes into play with somebody that becomes a successful author. Is it awesome for them? Yes. Why isn't it possible for all of us? It just isn't. It just isn't. Why can't, why can't that be acceptable as an answer? We know this, right? Why are we lying to ourselves as if we're children that can't have our feelings be hurt? I think it's just and fair and right and loving to tell a wannabe actor they're the low chances of them being a paid working actor or a paid artist, a working professional athlete. The statistics are obvious, but when we pretend that those statistics don't apply to us, and that we can find some back door into some unicornish success by just, well, if I'm just positive, and if I just have the right intentions, then everything will go well. Really? 
since when was having the right intention some sort of magic cure? Now, I know some of you, right when I say that, are possibly getting defensive, possibly ready to write in a comment. Oh, no, no, Jill, you don't understand. When I started applying, you know, positive thinking or law of attraction or the secret, then everything started going better in my life. That's great. You have a correlation of things going better in your life with your adopting a new principle. You don't know if that's causation. You can't prove that that's causation. They, happen, they may happen to go together. Might it be the cause? Possibly. But you can't prove it. What if those positive things would have happened even if you hadn't applied those positive intentions? Now, is it better to be positive than negative? Yes. It does create more joy, but please don't allow, please don't confuse being positive with being unrealistic. Undiscerning. Irrational. Ungrounded. Because there's a place for both. And I, I feel like I'm a pretty decent example of that. I'm very positive and I'm very pragmatic. Like almost annoyingly pragmatic to some people, refreshing <laughs> to others, to others. But I, I tell you this, I, I love my life. I, I enjoy life on earth for the most part. I don't, I don't need, you know, parking lot ferries to get me the right spot for my day to go right. I'm fine parking at the back of the lot. I'm okay. That's all right. A few steps probably is good for me. I was happy when I didn't have the bank accounts that my husband and I enjoy and feel so blessed with and, and worked hard for and are lucky to have. I was a very happy person when I was, you know, first out of college. I think my first paying job was 28000 maybe a year at the age of 23 in banking, right? That felt like I won the lottery. It's all relative. So going back to that doorway and opening up a doorway and creating a doorway. What are you super excited about trying out next. And please don't wait to be clear about it. This comes up a lot <laughs> in private sessions. It's a major theme and I can totally see why. We pretend that in order to move forward on a goal or to take a, the riskiest step that we have to have a really clear vision about what it's supposed to look like. Some of the best things I've ever done with my work I have no idea how it will go. What I do have is excitement about the intention that we're holding or that I'm holding and why we're doing it. That's all. <laughs> That's all I've got. That's what we're doing today. <laughs> My intention for today was that we have something helpful, relevant, wise, hopefully refreshing and new for how we can be happier and more feel more purposeful in our life, feel less restricted and getting unstuck. 
So far, I like. <laughs> so far, I like what we're doing. Yes. Okay, good. So are there projects that you're working on that aren't what you thought they were? <laughs> that happens. <laughs> that happens. Do you want to see it through? What's the cost that you're paying financially or energetically to finish a project that if you knew then what you know now, you would have never started? Sometimes we feel this sort of puritanical, I have to finish what I start. I personally, I, I drop a lot of things that I start. They feel good in the moment. It's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I don't know if I want to continue it. I don't know. We'll see. I don't need it. Does anyone need it? Now, some people finish things just because they said publicly they were going to start it. What if no one really cares whether you start it? What if no one will, will be upset with you if you don't finish it? What if you then say publicly, I'm rethinking this whole thing. I may not finish this. And why is it up to the response of the public anyway? Why are they getting such a big vote? Oh, we just struck a chord <laughs> right there, didn't we? Because some of you have decided that in order for your life to mean something, it's based on the scorecards you get from others. Oh, that's an interesting approach. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. What that looks like in a system is like a four-year-old at the family reunion trying to entertain everybody and you're on stage working your, you know, working your ass off, dancing your little, your little tushy off and nobody's looking. That's heartbreaking. So let's just acknowledge that part of ourselves that's just crushed by the idea that no one would care if we did something that mattered deeply to us. Yeah, give that part of you a huge hug. That's very real. That part of you is looking for praise, accolades, positive feedback from other people to determine whether it, you are worthy and valuable or not. Oh, sweetheart, please don't do that anymore. You're giving all your power away to someone else. And if they're busy with their life, that's, that's asking too much of other people. Yeah. So what if you've been valuable and worthy and had purpose even before you were trying to get everybody's attention, even before you were working on getting the praise of other people? 
I think one element of my authenticity is I did this, I did these podcasts when, <laughs> when I didn't know if anybody was listening. I did it because I had something I wanted to share. I'm, I'm being totally serious. Is it nice that, that, <laughs> that you guys are here alongside me? Oh, hopefully enjoying it and getting some value out of it. Yeah, that's great. But I did this before you guys were even here. <laughs> I did it because I wanted to offer it to the world. I have to not look at the results. I have to, if, if I'm that, that little girl, a four years old dancing at the family reunion, hoping to get attention, I would be facing the other way. I would be facing away from the picnic tables and the potato salad because I don't want to know who's looking. I just want to dance. I just want to feel the, the, my feet, you know, making clicky sounds and stomping sounds on the stage. I want to hear my own voice. I don't want to assess my joy based on who is or who isn't watching, who is or who isn't smiling who is or who isn't clapping and saying, yay, Jilly. If it's a passion thing that you're really excited about, make a special place for it that it doesn't even matter who likes it or not. You're just experimenting. It's okay. Okay, so here's we're going to run into a big <laughs> pit in the road construction. And that is if what you are super excited and passionate about, you are expecting the world to pay you for. We have, I'm going to be quite bold and it may sound harsh here. We have come up with this idea, I believe, probably around 1985. I definitely felt it when I was in uh, undergraduate school around, I graduated in 93. I definitely felt it around 1990. That, well, we should all be getting paid for what we love. That's the right way to do this. And if you're not getting paid for something that you love, then you're a sellout. I think my barista at Starbucks doesn't even drink coffee. And I don't need him to. <laughs> he doesn't have to drink my, my Americano, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't need him to like what I'm ordering. I just need him to make it. That's what he's getting paid for. He's not passionate about coffee. My daughter actually said she's seen, she's seen our barista at our Starbucks downtown with the God loves you sign. He's got a whole other game going on, <laughs> right? He's just at Starbucks to pay the bills and maybe share more of, more of his light. I don't know. I don't know him. I think it's unfair and unrealistic to expect the world to pay us at all, let alone handsomely, for our passions, for us taking risks in our passions. If if anybody's going to pay you for anything, shouldn't it be something that they actually want versus some sort of a, a tip jar because you're passionate about it? 
I don't want anyone to do me any favors if they're, if they're buying something from me. I want it to be because they want it, because they think it will help them, because they believe it will add something meaningful to their lives. Or if I'm a barista, because they want my coffee. This dollarization of passions is causing so much stress, so much anxiety, and sucking the life force out of perhaps the most passionate populations on earth. And it breaks my heart and pisses me off all at the same time. We're making life way too hard. Do what you love as a passion. Do it as a hobby. Don't over-invest in it. It may not pay you anything. You may lose a shit ton of money at it. Especially if you've over-invested in it. Can't we just be practical about, okay, I've got to pay the bills here. Um, Okay, how can I pay bills? What jobs are available? Who needs staff or talent or skill sets or a working body like mine (laughs) to do a job that I can pay my bills with. And then I have my passions. Can my passions be something that I make a living at? Maybe, but what are my passions? Are there others making a living at this? Not only how many are making a living at it, what percentage of those in that industry are making a living at it? Because we can't all be public speakers making a living at that. There's not enough listeners. There's not enough readers of books for us all to be successful published authors. When I started, when I wanted to do my first book, I realized that I did want to be an author. There was some sort of credibility with that, that I sought for myself. I, as I would, you know, a lot of my clients are authors, published authors, and very successful authors, some of you. Good job. (laughs) I'm celebrating your success. But I also had a lot of other um, clients that were published authors, and they had boxes of books in their garage that they were selling at the corn festival in Iowa, (laughs) you know, trying to, trying to sell these books. And I didn't want to do that. So I, I recognized that data. I was not unrealistic. I did not um, have, I want to say delusions of being one of those authors that, oh, well, mine is going to be, you know, mine's going to just be a, Oprah is going to be calling in a week, you know, once her staff gets it. Wow, wow, wow. Everything's going to start clicking, right? I'm not, I'm not wired that way. I am very pragmatic. So I was like, okay, this uh, statistically, I, it's only my current audience that may buy my book and maybe a few others down the road, but I'm not expecting anything big here. It's a busy world. People are busy. There's a lot of noise in the field of, of, books and bestsellers and, you know, reading lists from people like Oprah and all that stuff. It's mine's probably going to be in the noise, but I want to do it anyway. So I did a, 
I did a professional job on a shoestring budget that allowed me to feel good that I did not overinvest in it. So I didn't have dreams crushed, right? I don't even look at the sales. I'm super grateful for, for everyone that's bought any of my books and I hope you loved it. And I hope it you know, offered you value and helped you feel your light and inspired and all those things. But I'm not tracking my success. I'm, even if I do another book, I'm not even gonna look at, well, how many books have I sold in the other ones? I won't even look. Because it's not, that's, not my dis, that's not my criteria. Okay, nice deep breath here, please. So going back to that original question, what do you really want to do even if nobody's looking? What do you want to try out to see how it feels to you? Would you do it if a million people were watching? Would you do it if nobody's watching? To me, that's a real passion that you would do even if nobody responds at all. (laughs) You do it anyway because you love it, right? because it's a passion. You are not a failure if you have not made successful as a business your passions. You are not a failure. That was a lie that this world told you, that you should be paid for your passions. And if you're not getting paid for your passions, then you're doing it wrong. Bullshit utter bullshit. Our family attorney that put together our our living will and our our state will and all that jazz that my husband so so expertly coordinates and manages and says, Joe, we should do this to be responsible. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, let's do it. When's the meeting? Our attorney isn't passionate about what he does. He makes a damn good living at doing something that most people have not gone to school to learn how to do. He's a handsome amazing, intelligent, savvy guy. I don't know what he's like in his personal life. I just know that he's super professional to work with. I like him as a person, what I do know. And he got, our, he got, the, he got it done at a price we're willing to pay. I wasn't looking down my nose at him because it's not an enlightened job. You're not living your passions. You can tell I'm irritated, right? Because, <laughs> I know. Why am I so irritated? Yeah, my team is like, why are you so, why are, share with them why you're so irritated about it. Because all, there's all this pressure on how we are defining ourselves as successful or not in our lives by these variables that are completely flawed and distorted beyond reason. Life is hard enough. And then we added this objective of, oh, you should only get paid for what you're passionate about. (laughs) That's impossible. (laughs) Not impossible, but very unrealistic, especially based on what your passions are, right? Yes, for those pro football players that are at the top of their field and what they do, they, 
they're amazing. They've got a sense with the ball and the other players and all these things. And it, it happens to be in a sport where billions of people watch them play. For a pro top women's basketball player, not that many people watch women's basketball. They're not going to have the financial payoff for their passions. It's, it's unfair for them to ask because the demand, the, the economics aren't there. You can't pull money out of nothing. The reason those pro men ball players in sport, those top sports, basketball, football, soccer, no, soccer's not, no, not in the U.S. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. It's because there's all these eyeballs on them. That industry is huge financially. There is more money aimed at fewer players that get to that level. That's why they make so much money. And then you have orchestrated success. And I don't want to discount this. And this could get interesting. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to pull back a curtain here that I didn't know I was there. Damn it. Okay. All right, show me. There is orchestrated success. There are specific industries where there are channels for star making that happen, like not unlike horse racing. They identify a horse that has specific bloodlines, maybe specific characteristics, that it has the makings of a star and they invest in that horse, training, diet, veterinary care, um, stables. They want that horse to be so taken care of and so well trained that it's maximizing its chances to win those big races, whatever they are. It doesn't always turn out right, right? But there's a lot of other horses in the world that possibly also could have been chosen. They weren't chosen. So those in that industry, they may be passionate about horse racing. They may also be passionate about making money where there is money to be made and they're trying to engineer their success, right? This happens with actresses, right? That's that whole Harvey Weinstein nonsense is that he had a system for star making and there were back-end deals and shady um, favors that he was asking for from these stars that he felt like, you know, without me, you're not going to make it to the big show. Because of me, you got that role in my production. You owe me. That's a heavy price to pay. Yeah? So for those in the personal development space, in the self-help space, in the enlightenment space, are there similar sort of fast tracks? I've heard rumors. Um, let me just peek again what they're showing behind the curtain. You can buy your way in. Oh, God, that just feels so ugly, doesn't it? With the right amount of money, somebody could buy their way. And I'm just asking, like, onto the Hay House stage? It's happened. Oh, my God. 
can you buy your way onto, I don't even know what Oprah's doing anymore. I I don't follow that stuff. I'd rather be on Joe Rogan than I would be on Oprah's stuff. There are ways to buy your way into those successful brackets, but it doesn't guarantee success. It guarantees exposure. What happens then can be engineered depending on how many um, handlers and gatekeepers have money on the line related to you, but you can push success. Um, You guys probably all know that uh, the New York Times bestseller list and things like that, publishers can guarantee those rankings um, through their own purchasing of mass quantities of books when they're released and, and then selling them um, on the market. But that's not even a real number in terms of the best seller. Sell, sold to whom? The publishers themselves? That's not a real thing. But if you think, I mean, Michelle Obama's book that I've heard really good things about, was going to, you know, have the same, you know, chance as the rest of us if we published a book that, <laughs> nope, there was a, there was a machine of success behind her. I'm not saying she doesn't, we're not saying that she didn't deserve it and that it's not a great book, but the audience was already there, right? She's not making an audience from the book. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let me know if you have questions about the conspiracy thing. I see David here in the chat room. Okay. Good. Thanks, David. He's saying, Jill, although it makes you feel uncomfortable, I love when you pull the curtains back, shine a light on the hidden. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So um, for any of you that are doing passion projects that if you have invested you know, your heart, your soul, your sweat, your tears, your time, and maybe a lot of dollars, um, really step back objectively and just look at it for a minute. And I would encourage you to just ask these questions. Given what you know now, would you have ever started this project? If the answer is yes, that's great. If the answer is no, please pause. Please pause long enough to give yourself the choice point that you deserve, that you don't have to finish it. Is anyone requiring you to finish it? Maybe there is. I don't know. Chances are no, though. You're the one pushing yourself to finish. So give yourself that choice, right? The other consideration is, why am I doing this? Would I... Would I continue doing this if it has no effect, no audience, no, no thank yous, no gratitude? Would I still do this anyway? If the answer is yes, then <laughs> go for it, right? If the answer is no, then pause again and say, okay, all right, maybe I want to slow down or give myself back some of the energy I've dedicated to this and maybe I would do something else. For any of you that have been feeling like you are doing it wrong because you are not making a living at your passions, I hope you really heard what we talked about today. 
there are so many ways to make an honest living in this reality, right? Sometimes a great living, and a great living to me is based on, let's see what, what I've come up with in terms of the criteria. A, a fantastic living in this reality to me has these components. You are really, really good at something that is really, really hard to do, that a lot of people care a lot, a lot about. Okay? Those are, to me, the three pillars of extreme wealth creation in this reality. It's a pretty good list. <laughs> yeah, I think it works. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, hi, Barbara. She's saying, when organizations get huge, is it a given that money will corrupt? No, no, it's not. I have such a great example of this. Um, I need, yeah, a billion. Yeah, okay, good. That's right. <laughs> Um, my husband's an example of this. So when, when he started with the company that he's at, they were at 125 million net revenue. Um, and now they're with recent uh, strategic mergers and acquisitions and so forth. Um, and his vision and his amazing execution team, um, the executive team and their execution on these strategies, they're set to have a billion in revenue. This is just over the past seven years. He's the same guy. I mean, do we have nicer cars? Yeah, holla to Tesla, <laughs> the Tesla, <laughs> Tesla cars we have. So are, you know, physically, are things different in our lives? Yeah, it's awesome. But I mean, he's still like, Jill, what did you spend $10 on? I mean, why is Georgia spending $30 on DoorDash last night? It's so adorable. As he's still the same guy. So no, money, corruption is a function of, let's, let's give a little formula here. Corruption is a sign of a deterioration in good values that a person encounters based on various factors. It doesn't have to be based on success. You guys, we have, we, I mean, I can't believe the, how many friends we have that are now CEOs and we all went to undergraduate school together, hanging out in the student union building, you know, until they kicked us out because we were studying for our cost accounting classes and I was studying for finance and economics and trying, you know, just, uh, God, I mean, and here we are and it's, I mean, we get together on the lake and we, how are you doing? see their new boat. And it's like, Oh, my God, I can't believe how blessed we've been how lucky we've been. And thank God we chose to work hard at things that can pay so well. Um, you know, good choices, guys, right? Um, they're, they're, they're still beautiful, hardworking, caring um, people that I, I adore and love to hang out with. And, you know, it's just so cool. But they're not passionate about accounting. They're not maybe even passionate personally about their industries, but it's a job that needs to be done. And I love that those people are doing it. So when organizations get huge, is it a given that money will corrupt? A hundred percent. No, it is not a given that money will corrupt. Most of those that are corrupted, they had signs of, let's say flexible value systems all along the way. Yeah. Um, and I'll give us maybe a silly little example of this. When I first got my job out of undergraduate school, um, I double majored in economics and finance. The job I got was from an ad in a newspaper. It was 1993. 
and it was an ad for a financial analyst working for First Interstate Bank in my town. And I saw the ad and I sent in my resume and I included references. And the guy, the hiring manager, Mike Buckingham, called the references and got heard great things um, that I could more than you know well do that job and that they recommended me for the job. So I got the job. And I remember the university um, where I went, Boise State, just my local university. I shouldn't say just, it is a good school though. Um, and it is local and it is kind of a just, it's not, it's not, it's not Harvard, <laughs> it's not Yale. <laughs> I'm not lying to myself about that. But there I was invited um, probably two or three years into my career, I was invited back to speak to some other students about how I got my, they were asking questions like, how did you get your first job? And I was giving, you know, my, my story that I just told you guys. And then it was funny because there was somebody late that was also on the panel um, and they asked her the same question. And she said, she said, well, don't waste your time looking in the newspaper at ads. Those, you know, those ads are just placed by HR and they, they already know who they're going to hire. I got my first job because of somebody that my dad knew and you should definitely reach out to your connections and let everyone in your friends and family circle know that you're getting a job and they will help you get a job. <laughs> it's just like, and, and the people in the audience are looking at me just like, well, she got a job from the ad. And so do I respect the fact that this other woman had these kinds of connections that helped her get a job? I think that's awesome. I didn't have that. I don't, I didn't have that network. My dad isn't, you know, my dad's a pharmacist. I mean, I don't know who he knew, but it didn't even occur to me to use my connections. And there is something I definitely value, this ability to sort of get things done on your own and be recognized based on your hard work. Does that always work? No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, you know, should I get a PR agent for my work? Possibly. But you know what? I'm good. I can't even answer my emails as it is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that would go. Anyway, I just, I love that I'm able to share with you guys now. And there are so many different ways to get through that door that we were talking about and reevaluate the door that you think you want to go through. Okay, Barbara, great question though. Anything else you guys? Otherwise, we may wrap up today. This is an interesting session today with you guys. Hmm. <laughs> it does feel relevant though, because the 2020 energies to me feel like the theme is about clarity, self-clarity, authenticity, doing things with purpose and reasonable expectations of how things will go, right? I definitely have a business angle to how I come at things in terms of my pragmatism. And I hope that's helpful. You guys, I, I'm brokenhearted when I meet with some of you guys in private sessions and I find out somebody's invested $25,000 in some book publisher package and they're the ones with the boxes of books in their effing garage from a book they wrote two years ago and they bought the premium publishing package. And they've maybe sold 100 books, mainly because they've been pushing them to friends and family. That's not a success in my mind. I think that's, I think that $25,000 could have been put to some like freaking amazing, that's like five vacations in my heart. Yeah, but maybe they're happy they did it. Maybe they wouldn't have changed a thing. That's possible. But I don't think that's true. I think if they could have had the same stack of books in their garage and sold the same amount 
and still been published and on the internet or on Amazon or whatever for five grand, they would have easily done it or 2,500 even better, right? There's so many ways to get things done. And the, the shiny packages that people promise you results with, I, I don't know if they're lying to themselves or they're just lying to the potential clients, but I don't believe them. I really don't. It doesn't work like that. Okay. Hi, Renee. She's saying is big aha about, uh, okay, let me just make sure I'm reading this. Is big aha about if you would do it if no one was watching. Oh, okay. I think what she's saying is it's a big aha, <laughs> that idea that would you do it if no one is watching. There are a few of those, but mostly I can say, but there are a few of those, but mostly I can say to that, I'm not, I may be reading that wrong, Renee. <laughs> and I know typing, typing can be a little, <laughs> I miss words all the time in my text messages and have to fix it. But I think what I hear you saying is that was a big aha, that idea about would you do it if no one was watching? Um, yeah, there are a few of those that, that you would say no to, it sounds like, yeah. Yeah, it's okay, Renee, I'm not judging your bad texting. <laughs> We're typing fast, right? Okay. You're welcome, Catherine. She's saying, thank you, Jill. I've enjoyed hearing this and I've learned things. Oh, good. Any other questions that you guys want to throw in before we wrap up for today? Um, and then while you guys are doing that, I will mention in terms of calendar. Um, so I'll be here again next week is my plan. And then my plan is to also do a podcast on uh, September 24th. And then I am off to Greece for two weeks. Um, for that amazing trip uh, with clients. And then I would be back on October 15th. So I will miss you guys um, during those weeks off. Um, and I'm excited about where I'll be too. Um, let's see, what other news? Last, there were a lot of sharings last week. Um, if you want to go to my website, jillreneefeeler.com, go to JRF Podcasts. There's a little drop, drop down that says all posts, I think is what it says. And you can see everything, um, the new stuff. But what you won't see in there is that there's two different versions of the, oh, let's, how do I want to put this? There's two different kind of garage doors <laughs> in the house for the Transcending the Reincarnation Program series. One was through Beyond the Ordinary. We had that Q&A bonus call this past weekend, and it was freaking amazing. I, this is exactly why I do those Q&A calls, because what you guys ask adds a whole other set of layers and dimensional ranges and experiences to those series. So that Q&A call, oh my God, you guys, I love you. It was amazing. So that Q&A call is already posted for those that purchase the Transcending the Reincarnation programs through the Bound the Ordinary offer. And then there's the other garage door that has the same materials for the Transcending the Reincarnation programs that's available through Carrie Murphy's Straight Talk for the Soul. And that Q&A call won't happen until mid-October. Um, but yeah, so this last week, I mean, if I look at things from my perspective, um, there was a lot going on. We had Straight Talk for the Soul interview with Carrie on Tuesday the 3rd. We had the Ask Me Anything um, members event. That was the third one we've done, Ask Me Anything. We had, the, I had a Greece pre-trip call with those participants on the 7th. I had the bonus Q&A call for the Transcending the Reincarnation programs on Sunday. And now here I am with you guys and we had sessions yesterday. So 
and yeah, session Saturday too and Friday. But anyway, <laughs> so from my perspective, I'm dancing. I'm dancing a lot, <laughs> but you guys can't see everything <laughs> because of like where I'm doing it and which course it's in and which audience it's for, etc. So yeah. Anyway, all right. Let me check back in the chat room. Otherwise, we'll wrap up. Oh, that's so sweet. Okay. <laughs> Okay, da, 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 da. Donna is saying, I'm a little confused as I'm trying to find a new job. Should I do it for the money or because I would love to do it? I mean, Donna, ideally it's both, but I mean, if the practical situation is that you need money, I would prioritize your financial security, stability, and I like, I like financial responsibility. I'm a really big fan of feeling personally responsible where we can where we're able to, right, in our lives and taking care of ourselves and not asking, you know, others to pay our way, especially as adults. Unless we have some sort of, you know, disability or something like that, I think we should be pulling more, as much of our own weight as possible. And then, I mean, ideally, we're able to sort of give back. I feel like, I mean, <laughs> if you're in the highest tax bracket, you probably feel pretty charitable just with that alone. <laughs> but anyway, that's a political conversation <laughs> for another time. <laughs> anyway, so if it were me, if, um, if I needed to support my family, I would first prioritize on what is the most I can make for what I can do well that somebody will pay me the most for. That would be my number one priority. I would focus on that first. And hopefully it's acceptable working conditions, right? I don't want to be like abused. I don't want to be a slave, right? But if I'm respected and it's a professional work environment and, you know, it's doable, um, then yeah. So I, I, like I said, I don't think my baristas love what they do. I hope they do, but I don't, I don't, ex I just don't have that expectation, you guys. I really decoupled. My husband doesn't, he he's super good at what he does, but he's not like, oh, I love my work. I mean, if he, I don't, well, I shouldn't say that because I shouldn't speak for him, number one. And he's super good at what he does. And I think in some ways he does love what he does because he could retire if he wanted to. Um, so there must be something there that he's enjoying. And I think he likes the, you know, the challenge and, um, uh, there's a lot to it that it puts to, it's a container for his skill set, right? Um, and he is, I mean, well-educated and very experienced in an area that, um, that matters and is appreciated by stockholders and his employees and all of those things. So anyway, um, I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't ask of the world that it needs to be a job that I love. That's just me. I didn't love doing strategic planning when I did it, but it paid me really well. I was really good at it. Um, and then I lost my motivation for it. And, and here's the other thing. I didn't need that money at some point. And that's why I left corporate. I didn't leave corporate because I wanted to, you know, offer my spiritual services to the world because I, because I couldn't, you know, I just, I didn't have any, uh, fantasy about that it was a practical decision about my husband and I saying okay you just got this promotion maybe you know I'm already working part-time anyway what if I just stay home and we were like yeah let's look at the numbers financially yep that's doable my raise covers what you were contributing so yeah Jill if you want to stay home uh you can and then it gave me more time for this hobby that then turned into a business that I never would have imagined um, being as successful as it is, especially when I don't even answer all my emails. Jeez Louise, what's wrong with me? 
Um, okay, Don, I hope that helps. And then David is saying, please come back to New York City and do a workshop. And Don is saying, yes, come to New York City. Yeah, you, <laughs> you guys, I just want to be honest with you. I came all the way to New York City. It's one of the most expensive places to rent, to have a meeting space, right? And I loved the about 30 of you <laughs> that were there. Um, but that's not enough. I, I financially, I can't do that. I don't have the audience numbers to justify me going to New York City. So, I mean, I'm not doing it 100%. And money is not my number one goal, but it's definitely on the list. I loved come to New York City. And I'm not anxious to come back because I didn't make enough profit for me to justify going all that way, paying that much money for rental space when I can pay a tenth of that and host a weekend workshop here in Boise and not have to leave my family, right? So the, the, see, I'm being very pragmatic there, right? And that's a perfect example of it. Do I want to go where all of you guys are? Yeah. Do I want to do an event in Sydney, Australia? Yeah. But guess what? If 30 people show up, I will lose my ass financially by going all the way to Sydney, Australia for an audience my size. It, it doesn't pay off. I can't do that, right? So, and I don't expect anyone to be, yeah, Jill, I'll pay you 10 grand to come just for me, <laughs> even if I'm the only one in the audience, right? No, that, that, I don't see that happening, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Hi, Karen. She's saying, I was in the last Q&A from the Beyond the Ordinary Offer. It was amazing. Thanks for your generosity of time, and it was fun. Oh, good, Karen. I'm so glad to hear that. You're welcome. This Kazzy H, she's saying stunning message. Thank you, Jill. Patrick says, um, heart Boise. Yes, see, Patrick, he came from New York to the Boise event. Um, and that was not easy to get here, I know, because I've gone the opposite way. And it was wonderful to have Patrick. It was great to have you here in Boise. But I get it. Some of you that are saying come to New York City, you don't want to pay the money to come to Boise. I totally get it. We're both in the same boat, right? So here's the thing. Look at what we're doing today. This is pretty good, right? This maybe I paid 10 bucks a month or something minimum to Zoom for this option. Um, you know, there's no airfare involved, no carbon emissions were created. <laughs> we're all good. Is it the same as being a person? No, I totally get that. But this, this works too. Okay. I love you. Donna just said, I get it. <laughs> yeah, good. Good. Okay. I, thank you for understanding. Not that you need to understand, um, but it is helpful. And I did want to offer that sort of reality check. So yeah, <laughs> I love you guys so much. Thank you for being here. I love you. I hope this was helpful. There was a lot of layers to this. It may have felt very pragmatic and superficial, but there were a lot of very soulful layers here too. I love that they um, sort of, they slash we sort of added in this other sort of icing on the cake related to how this is pertinent to 2020 and the energies of 2020. Um, this was a bit of a reality check. Um, it wasn't a slap. I think it was a, a, a light-based hand to show um, another perspective on, I think, a really confusing, distorted area of um, how we live our passions in this reality and what we expect as a result from them, from doing so.
Okay. Alrighty. I love you. I love you guys so much. Bye-bye for now. And if you like this, thank you for subscribing or commenting or reviewing. Um, iTunes reviews are a little, I think, trickier to do. I think for a while you couldn't do it from the app on your phone. I don't know how you guys listen to this. There's a lot of different ways I try to position it uh, depending on how you consume this type of information. Um, I try to make that possible. But if you do feel led to leave a review or comment or share it or whatever, um, I appreciate it. I hope that this helps many more people than our present audience size, right? Okay. I love you. Bye-bye for now.